Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. It's a privilege to thank you on behalf of your elders for praying for us as we've been away at our planning retreat. We wrap that up this afternoon, so we look forward to sharing with you much of what we've done when we get back. It's also my privilege this morning to introduce to you the Bible teacher who will be opening the word shortly. Pastor Kevin O'Brien has served as the pastor of Ocean City Baptist Church for 20 years. And here's a secret. When I'm away on vacation and I'm in the area, I like to frequent Kevin's church. And here's why. Because when I've sat under Kevin's teaching, I feel like I've heard a pastor share from a pastor's heart. He loves his people with the word. And I'm sure you're going to get a sense of that this morning. Uh, I also love Kevin's patience. You don't serve at the same church for two decades without developing that attribute. But finally, I love the fact that when I sit under Kevin's teaching, I hear a precision with the word. I always get the feeling that Kevin has me closer to understanding what God meant by what the scripture was actually saying. And so I'm grateful for that. Here's one other thing. If you ever want surfing lessons from a pastor, you don't want to check with me, but you may want to check with Kevin after the service. Please join me in extending to Pastor Kevin O'Brien a warm fellowship welcome. Well, good morning. That's uh, very kind of uh, Phil to say that. Um, You may not know this, but I was actually in your place once with uh, Phil as my pastor when I went to Word of Life Bible Institute uh, for my first year. Phil was my campus pastor there. Uh, It was a joy to have him there. Phil and Kim were actually my dorm parents uh, as well, and so that was uh, a joy having them uh, be a part of my life in that way. Uh, I remember uh, having Phil as my pastor and thinking what an encouraging and discouraging thing it was at the same time. Uh, It was encouraging because I thought, boy, here's a man who loves God's word and really knows how to handle it and really loves God's people. He had such a shepherd's heart, and yet he really married that well with uh, an ability to communicate God's word, and I'm sure that you all know that. But it was a discouraging thing because as a freshman in Bible college, I looked at Phil and I honestly thought, I can never be that. I, I, I just thought he is uh, the high bar uh, of, of what I can someday hope to attain to uh, as a pastor. And so uh, he was both an encouragement and a discouragement, both in a good and godly way. And so uh, what an honor it is for me to be here uh, and um, to be preaching at Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you so much for having me this morning, and it is a joy to be here. Well, this morning I have the privilege of preaching from what almost every Christian would agree is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Some would say it is the greatest chapter. I would definitely put it into my top two. Uh, The only one that might compete for my top spot would be Ephesians chapter one. Now at this point you might be trying to guess or think through in your mind what I'm gonna preach from. Uh, Isaiah 53 maybe, Psalm 23, Uh, John 1, John 10, uh, maybe Ephesians 2 comes to mind, or Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith. Uh, By the way, that would make a great 
discussion starter for your fellowship time today. I know you guys have uh, some time after the service set aside specifically for fellowship, and what a great opportunity. Think through your top three chapters of the Bible. If you were sent to a deserted island, they took your Bible from you, but they left you with three chapters, what would your three chapters be? I hope uh, you can discuss and debate and edify one another with that discussion this morning. Well, wherever you were to land in that discussion, I think Romans 8 has to be a part of the conversation. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn with me there to Romans chapter 8. The pietist Philip Jacob Spiner was pretty clear about how he felt about Romans chapter 8. He said that if the Bible were a diamond ring and the book of Romans uh, would then be the diamond then Romans 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel, okay? What a great quote. Indeed, you you just read Romans chapter 8, and you will see all of its themes make it sparkle. Romans 8 begins with no condemnation in the first verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It ends with no separation in the last verse, nothing in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In the middle, we learn that there is no defeat for those who are in Christ. Are you struggling with discouragement this morning? Go to Romans chapter 8. Are you dealing with guilt? Go to Romans chapter 8. Facing trials in your life? Romans 8. Battling temptation this morning? Go to Romans 8. Struggling with the assurance of your salvation, I would say, go to Romans chapter 8. What's amazing is that it helps us with all of those things, and yet it does so without ever giving us a single command. Isn't that incredible? Few people realize it, but the book of Romans, such a great book, right? The book of Romans doesn't have a single command in it until Romans 6.11. The first five and a half chapters of Romans don't have a single command in it. You can go ahead and check after the service. Don't do it yet. Hold off. Resist the the temptation. Then, after Romans 6.11, we get about a chapter and a half with some commands in it. Then we get to Romans chapter 8, and again, an entire chapter with not a single command to be found. What it does have, though, is the Holy Spirit. In fact, Romans chapter 8 is chock full of the Holy Spirit. And after a chapter like Romans chapter 7, if you're familiar with that from your scripture reading, Romans 7 is a chapter that's full of flesh and and temptation and failure, one that's devoid of the Spirit. Here, the Holy Spirit is mentioned at least 18 times, more than any other chapter in the entire New Testament. Could it be that this is why Romans 8 resonates with all of us so much? This is dominated by the reassuring theme of the Holy Spirit helping us in our weakness. It talks directly to the weaknesses that we all know we have, and it gives us hope for strength from God to get through them. We learn that the Holy Spirit helps us to live a a spiritually-minded life instead of a worldly-minded life. Look at Romans 8.2. 
For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The spirit helps us to live in righteousness instead of sin. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. The spirit helps us to put to death our old and sinful ways. Look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He gives us the assurance of eternal life in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He gives us assurance of our adoption by God and our subsequent inheritance from God. In verses 16 and 17, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And he is the first fruits of our resurrection, assuring us of our glory to come. Look back at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. We struggle with many things. We struggle with doubt, with guilt, with temptation, with worry, with fear, but the Holy Spirit helps us in all of our weakness. We are weak, but he is strong. I think that that's a big part of what makes this chapter so great. It's a theme that is dominant in the passage as well that we're going to study today. Because just like the studies of, of doubt and guilt and temptation and worry are all universal, so is the struggle that I want to talk to you about today, and that is weakness in prayer. I assume weakness in prayer is universal. Let me take a little poll. Is there anybody here who would say that they are completely satisfied with their prayer life over the past year. As in, if you looked at, back at 2021 now, and you looked at how you prayed, you could say, you know, I'm completely content with how robustly and consistently that I prayed over the past year. My guess is that if I asked, not a lot of hands would go up, right? That's probably why your elders are encouraging you in this 40-day spiritual discipline challenge to Bible study, scripture memorization, and prayer, right? Because we all need encouragement in our prayer life. In fact, one Christian speaker who does seminars on prayer took a survey about people's prayer lives. And what he found is that about 90% of evangelical Christians do not have a meaningful prayer life. Now, I, I did not research what constituted meaningful in this survey, but I'm guessing that it involves something substantial, consistent, and disciplined. Well, if you would have to put yourself in that 90%, then today's message is for you. Because Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us not just with doubt and guilt and temptation and worry, but also with our prayer lives. 
In fact, it's been said that no passage in Scripture provides us with greater encouragement to pray than the passage I'm going to talk to you about today. And I think that's probably right. So if you need encouragement to pray, stick with me today as we look at Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray for the Lord's wisdom this morning. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, we pray for your help in understanding it. We ask, Lord, for help in our weakness uh, as we seek to become better prayers, better communicators to you, Lord. Communicate now to us through your scriptures, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Although this passage is only two verses long, it is such an incredibly packed passage. It has tons of details, tons of dilemmas and difficulties to work through. Now, I'm not going to touch on all of them, mainly because I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees. And I honestly think that's the biggest danger that you'll face over the next few minutes. Because the biggest thing that these verses should do is to encourage you to pray more. If you walk out of here understanding every little detail and being able to think through every little nuance of this passage, but you're not encouraged to pray more, then I haven't done my job this morning. And so I want you to walk away from this passage the way I did when I studied it, reinvigorated to pray more, inspired to pray even when you don't feel like it, encouraged to pray even when you are discouraged about your prayer life itself. So, Yes, appreciate the richness of this passage, but also see its three main points which should drive us to more prayer. Let's look at them now. First of all, we see that we should pray because we're weak. We ought to pray because we're weak. I love the fact that Paul did not write, likewise, the spirit who helps you in your weakness, but rather he writes, likewise, the spirit who helps uh, who? Us, right? He helps us in our weakness. What a humble man. Paul was an apostle. He was the writer of most of the New Testament. And yet he was always upfront about acknowledging his own weakness. He saw his dependence upon the Lord in everything, and he constantly spoke of his need for God. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong, right? He could say that because he realized his strength came from the Lord. And those who truly know that their strength comes from the Lord by nature constantly then go back to him and cry out for more strength. If we're honest, one of the reasons why we don't pray enough is because too often we see ourselves as being enough. We see ourselves as being competent enough, as being strong enough to make it through the day. We think we are adequate for the task. But Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Jesus didn't say, listen, disciples, you're going to be okay without me, okay? But if you're not, then you call on me and I'll be there to help you out. He did not say, listen, if the problems get too big and you can't handle them on your own, then you come to me and you let me know. No, he says, abide in me, which is to say, have a daily, personal, consistent relationship with me. And this has to be true for everybody from spiritual newborns to spiritual giants. We have to see our need for prayer every day if we are going to see God work in a mighty way. And that is true no matter who you are. Think of the illustration of Elijah. Elijah was a spiritual giant, right? But he was so precisely because he was a prayer warrior. He prays, and God answers his prayer by consuming that soaking wet sacrifice with fire. Two other times, he prays, and and God sends down fire to kill two captains of Ahab's army and the 50 men that were sent to kill him. He prays another time for a drought. It doesn't rain for three and a half years. After the three and a half years, what does he do? He prays, and it rains. Elijah was a spiritual giant, and yet James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah wasn't extraordinary. He wasn't strong in and of himself. He was weak like us. In fact, we see that. You read the life of Elijah, and you see ups and downs, right? You see times of of great conquests and times of depression. But he did great things for God because he constantly came back and cried out to the God who is strong. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Or think about Jesus. Spiritually speaking, on the scale, where where are you ranking Jesus, right? On a scale of one to 10, he's a 12 billion, right? He's off the charts. And yet, what do we constantly read in the Gospels? Mark 1.35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5.15 and 16, but now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Matthew 14, 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. And so if Jesus, the very son of God, saw the need to get alone with his heavenly father in prayer, how can you and I not see that? Tell me, are we more spiritually sufficient than the very son of God? Of course not. And yet sometimes we act as though we are, right? We do not see the need to withdraw and to pray. Let me ask you, do you want to be used greatly by the Lord? Then begin by seeing your finiteness and your weakness so that you are driven to cry for his infinite strength. If you want to be used mightily for the Lord, you don't think, okay, well, well then I've got to be more, I've got to do more, I've got to buck up and 
and strengthen myself. No, see just how weak you are and cry out to God for his strength. Hudson Taylor wrote, all of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. Now, you might say, well, I, I can't imagine being a giant for God or being used greatly for him. That, that's just, that's not where I'm at. I, I was just saved recently or I'm, I'm, I'm very young in the faith. That's okay. Again, this applies no matter where you are in the Christian life. You want to stop that sinful habit that keeps getting the best of you? Realize that you are weak, that he is strong, and then cry out to God for his strength. You're wondering how you're going to be able to carry through that new spiritual dis discipline that you've resolved to do, to memorize those verses, to read, to stay in the scriptures every day. Realize that your dedication is weak, but that God is strong and that he stands ready to give you grace day by day by day and to pick you up when you fail. You want to say no to whatever temptation that you're going to face when you walk out that door in a few minutes? Feel your weakness. Feel your inability. And remember that when you are weak, then in God's strength, you are strong. Now, at this point, some of you might protest. What if my weakness is my prayer life? <laughs> well, that brings us to the second point of this passage. Secondly, we should be encouraged to pray because we have help praying. We have help praying. Look back again at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is such an encouragement. The word help that Paul uses here, it, it, it's a rare and strange and kind of long word. It's only used one other time in the Bible uh, when Martha asks, uh, please, Lord, tell, tell Mary to help me. And it has the, the idea of coming alongside of someone and then and facing them and bearing a load, okay? So you come along to someone, you face them, and you bear the load, Imagine someone trying to pick up and to move a log, okay? This is kind of the best illustration, best way I can illustrate it. If you were to help someone who was trying to move a log, uh, first of all, you'd go to them, you'd come alongside of them, but you'd face them, and you would pick up the other side of that log, and you would help carry it, you would help bear it along for them. That is like what the Holy Spirit does for us. He does not leave us alone to bear the burdens of prayer by ourselves. Instead, as we lift up our troubles before the Lord, he comes alongside of us and he helps carry the load. And Paul says that the Spirit does so with groanings too deep for words. Now, a couple of things to note about this phrase uh, first of all, this is not talking about speaking in tongues. Uh, even most people who believe that speaking in tongues is for today, and I would not include myself uh, there, but e even they would admit that not everyone is supposed to do so. After all, Paul says there are many members of the body of Christ, and every member has different gifts. Not everyone has the same gifts. But our passage today is clearly a promise for all believers, not just for supposed tongue speakers. Additionally, I want to point out that this 
isn't also as well talking about some sort of private prayer language either, as some people suggest. Because notice this, it's not the person praying who is the subject of the sentence, it is the Spirit who is doing the groaning. The Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. It's the Spirit's groanings, not a private prayer language. You, you have to read that into it. His groanings are too deep for words, not so deep that it turns our language into non-decipherable words. So then, if that's not what it's saying, what is it saying? There are several good interpretations, uh, but none of them, again, involve emptying your mind or being caught up into an ecstatic state or mumbling syllables. Instead, I, I agree with one author who believes that this is what's called an anthropomorphism. That is, it attributes a human emotion to God so that we might better understand who God is, okay? Um, and anthropomorphism is, is when uh, it says that God hears our prayers, right? Is he literally listening? It, God has bared his holy arm for the salvation of his people. Is it God's actual arm? No, it's just so that we might understand who he is. And, and this is what happens here. In, in fact, Paul used an anthropomorphism just a few verses before this. Look at verse 22. Paul says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, does creation literally groan? Is it in the pains of childbirth? No, that's an anthropomorphism, right? Paul's trying to help us to understand by, by giving us something that we do understand. He's trying to help us to understand what's going on with creation. It's attributing a human characteristic to help us understand better. So notice, creation groans, not literally, in verse 22, then in verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly, uh, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemptions of our body. We groan inwardly, again, not literally, in verse 23. And here in verse 26, the Holy Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. One author writes, Paul pictures the Holy Spirit groaning on our behalf in order to convey that he takes up our needs at the deepest emotional level and conveys our hurts and our cares to the Father's throne, all in line with the will of God. This should encourage us to pour our hearts out before him. And so I think that this is an amazing picture, that the Holy Spirit isn't just interceding for us in a disinterested way but rather he's doing so in an involved way that shows great love and great concern for us. Doesn't that blow your mind? God the Holy Spirit cares for you so deeply that he carries your burdens in a concerned way. Here's another mind-blowing thought about this that I read in my studies. Here's what it said. In our prayer... God returns from his projection in nature to speak with himself. When we speak to God, it is really the God who lives in us speaking through us to himself. His spirit returns to him who gave it, and he returns not void, but bearing our souls with him. So God gives us his spirit, and then it is God the spirit who returns to God in order to help us to express our needs to God. 
What a thought that, that God not only answers our prayers that are made, but he even makes them for us on our behalf. And so we should be encouraged to pray because we have help praying from God himself. This brings us to our third point. Third, we should be encouraged to pray because the Holy Spirit always makes our prayers right. We should be encouraged to pray because the Holy Spirit always makes our prayers right. We see this in verse 26 when Paul writes, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And we see it in verse 27 as well. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Don't you feel that sometimes? Should I pray for this job? Or does the Lord not not want me to have it? Does he want me to stay here? Should I pray for this person's recovery? or, or, Or should I pray that the Lord will take them home because it's their time? Should I, should I bring along, should I, should I pray that God would bring along the right person for me to marry, or should I be content right now to wait? Should I pray for contentedness and just say, Lord, in your timing? It's easy to see why we groan along with the Holy Spirit, uncertain over what to pray for. But the good news is that even though we do not know what to pray for as we ought, the end of verse 27 says, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to to the will of God. What a great encouragement. Someone once wrote, the Holy Spirit is prayer's great helper. We are incapable of ourselves to translate our real needs into prayer. And so the Holy Spirit does this for us. We cannot ask as we ought. The Holy Spirit does this for us too. It is possible for unaided man to ask what is for our ill. The Holy Spirit can check this. No weak or trembling hand dare put in motion any mighty force. Can I, dare I, move the hand that moves the universe? No, unless the Holy Spirit has control over me. Oh, what danger we would be in if the Spirit didn't intercede for the saints according to the will of God. I think of the illustration of um, Augustine. Many of you probably know St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers. St. Augustine had been uh, a very wicked man in his youth uh, before his conversion, and his godly mother, Monica, had a heavy burden for her son. She learned that he was leaving home, he was going to Italy, and so she prayed that God would not let him go there because she feared that he would only get into worse and deeper sin. She did not know what to pray for. She did not know how to pray as she ought God did not answer her prayer as she wanted. God instead allowed Augustine to go to Italy, and it was there that he was gloriously converted. God did not answer her special request in order that he might answer her true heart request, which was the salvation of her son. Now, this does not mean that we should just pray however we want. We are told to seek God's will. We should be guided by the scriptures as to what God's revealed will is. We should try as much as possible to line up our prayers with God's revealed will. But what about those times when we don't know what God's will is, when his sovereign will may differ from our prayers? 
Well, this verse makes us confident that the Holy Spirit is going to correct our prayers and to line them up with exactly what the will of God is. And again, this is such an encouragement to pray. Pour out your hearts to God and know that his Holy Spirit within you is going to correct any of your mistakes and to make your prayers right before God. You know what's great? This means that you can spend less time wondering about what to pray Less time thinking, well, what should I pray, pondering, and instead just pouring out your heart to God. This passage means that you can stand confidently before the Father at the throne of grace, not only because you have a high priest, Jesus, interceding on your behalf with his blood, making it possible for you to pray, but also because you have another member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, interceding on your behalf, making it profitable for you to pray. Jesus makes it possible for us to pray. The Holy Spirit makes it profitable for us to pray. And by the way, if you don't have Jesus as your great high priest, then really the only prayer that you can pray today is one for salvation, a prayer of repentance and faith. Because the spirit that helps us in our weakness is a spirit who indwells believers He is one who indwells followers of Christ. This is why we have him helping us in our prayers because God has given him to all who follow him, all who have placed their faith in him. The Holy Spirit does not indwell all people. And contrary to popular belief, God uh, is not uh, required to listen to the prayers and to answer the prayers of all people. And so the first prayer that God must hear for you, from you is one of repentance from your sins that have separated you from God. The real problem is that in our natural state, we have no ability to go to the throne of grace because we are all sinful and that sin is a barrier between us and God. And so our first prayer needs to be one where we ask him for the forgiveness of our sins, where we place our faith in Jesus Christ and admit that he and he alone can save us and that we are unworthy in and of ourselves to approach him, that he and he alone can grant you access to God by his grace. If you're here today and you've never prayed a prayer like that, please see one of your leaders after the service, see me, so you can come to have Jesus interceding on your behalf before the throne And then you can know that you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, interceding in your prayers and making them profitable for you with God. Because then and only then, praise the Lord, you can stand confidently before God the Father at the throne of grace, knowing that he will always hear your prayers. Listen, Christian, what this passage here means is that when your prayers aren't answered, you don't need to get discouraged. It can be easy to get discouraged, right? You pray for something day after day, sometimes week after week, sometimes month after month, even year after year after year. Sometimes it's hard because we want answers. We want to see results. We want to know that God is hearing us. Listen, this passage reassures us that the Lord has heard you, but you can know that the Holy Spirit has corrected your prayers and has lined them up, every one with the perfect will of God. Even Paul experienced this, didn't he? 
Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here we have Paul's own testimony, and again, what a great testimony it is. What, what a relief it is to know that Paul understands what we go through when he writes what he does. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 7. Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul had been given this thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. We're not entirely sure, but he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed again three times, Lord, please take this from me but he didn't know how to pray. And so the Holy Spirit interceded the right way, and the Lord answered in the perfect way for Paul. Listen, my power is perfected in your weakness. By your grace, that's how you'll be strong. The Spirit interceded for him and helped him in his ignorance and helped him in his weakness. Because of who the Holy Spirit is, this is what the Holy Spirit does. As one author wrote, the Holy Spirit, as the spirit of power, helps us in our infirmity in prayer. The Holy Spirit, as the spirit of wisdom, delivers us from our ignorance in prayer. The Holy Spirit, in the, as the spirit of life, ends our deadness in prayer. The Holy Spirit, as the spirit of fire, delivers us from our coldness in prayer. And the Holy Spirit, as the spirit of might, comes to aid our weakness We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.